Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Today we complete our 11-week study through the book of Daniel. Daniel's been a, a glorious guide for us and his book, A Field Map, as we've done our best to navigate this season of distance learning. That, that's been our framework for this whole study. Daniel was a, a man in exile. He was a, a, a man away from home where so much of what he'd hoped for in his future had crumbled as he was marched from Jerusalem to Babylon. And so over the last 12 weeks, we've been trying to learn how to live well in exile. We, we've reminded ourselves that we're not the first to walk through a difficult season and we won't be the last. In fact, God uses these types of seasons to shape and to form his people. And over the last few weeks of studying Daniel's vision specifically, my hope is that there's been this pattern that has started to emerge for you. In Daniel chapter 7, we saw that these four beasts eventually were defeated by the Ancient of Days. In Daniel chapter 8, we saw that the ram and then the goat eventually were destroyed and their kingdoms wiped out. We saw in Daniel chapter 9 that eventually God rules and reigns supreme after a season of, of trouble and struggle. Um, you can go back and read Daniel chapter 11. We see the exact same pattern that there's a season of trouble that's followed by a time of, of triumph where God eventually uh, exerts his will and he reigns supreme. You know, we've seen the same pattern in Daniel's life in his time in Babylon, right? I mean, he refuses to bow to King Nebuchadnezzar and he's exalted and lifted up. He refuses to bow down to Darius and he's preserved through the lion's den. We see that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are refused to bow down as well and they're kept through the fiery furnace. It's this, this pattern that seems to be difficulty, hardship, and setbacks eventually give way to redemption, restoration, and deliverance. And the point has been throughout all of these visions that we can continue to walk by faith because our God is faithful to rescue. That, that trouble eventually gives way to triumph. We've seen that Daniel has been a, a great guide for us, but, but so often we ignore the guides in our life, don't we? I, I had the opportunity to travel back to Colorado a few weeks ago to do a wedding for some friends, and uh, I, I took some time during the flight attendant's safety talk to just observe. And you know what I found? Nobody was listening to this woman explain to us how to survive a potential crash. I mean, she is literally giving us information that could save our lives. And we are swiping and clicking and doing anything 
to avoid listening to the spiel. I mean, I mean, my guess is you've probably ignored one of those talks yourself. What's fascinating, though, is that studies show that only 3-4% to of people pay attention to those talks and that they could literally save our life because most people today in plane crashes don't usually die on impact. They die because they don't get out of the plane in time, which is what they're explaining to us how to do. I think in so many ways, Daniel's book echoes this same type of a sentiment. He's, he's telling us how to survive. He's telling us how to thrive when life gets really, really difficult. And we need that guidance. But the question is, will we listen to him and allow him to be our guide? See, I think a lot of us, as we've read through the book of Daniel, we have this growing respect for Daniel and the endurance that he had. We just don't want to have to practice it in our own lives. We, we want the easier ride. We don't want the exile. But the reality is, friends, that, that that season is probably either on us or coming for every single one of us. And the question isn't whether or not we will enter exile. It's whether or not we will endure through it. I mean, this latest season of COVID restrictions, going back into the purple tier, was so frustrating. I mean, I'm at the end of my rope. I don't know if you are too. And I'm reminded once again that I need Daniel's guidance. I need the Lord's strength to continue to point me in the right direction. So let's dive into Daniel chapter 12 as we see the end to this great book where Daniel, our guide in distance learning, is going to close out this book that he's writing. Remember, at this point in Daniel's life, he's probably in his mid-80s. He's seen friends that have now returned to Jerusalem to begin rebuilding the city there and rebuilding the temple. And he knows at this point in time, that he's probably going to die in Babylon. He's never going to see what he hoped to see. And this is the way that he closes his book. Here's what he wrote. He said, At that time, starting in verse 1 of chapter 12, at that time, now quick time out, your your question might be, at what time? (laughs) Well, I didn't invite you to go back and read through chapter 11. We had to skip that for time's sake, but it's essentially a wide scope of history that leads us up to the very end of time. Uh, The Antichrist is present, there's kings from the north and from the south that battle, and they focus their attack on the people of God. Israel. And here's what Daniel wrote. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. Now remember, Michael is the archangel who has jurisdiction and power uh, over Israel, that he's their protector. We saw him show up in chapter 10. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation Till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book of life. Uh, uh, Verse 1 shows us that there's this coming time of, of trouble. Elsewhere in scripture, we see this referred to as the great tribulation. That's the way Jesus referred to it in Matthew chapter 24, verse 21. Listen to what he said. He said, For then there will be great distress 
unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. You may think of tribulation as a period of unparalleled suffering and hardship that precedes the return of Christ and is focused uniquely on God's people. Verse 2, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to everlasting contempt. So we see that Daniel is concluding this book with a vision for the end of time. And he says, listen, there's going to be great trouble that will then be followed by bodily resurrection. Some who are at sleep in the dust will awake, will awake, will come back to life. This, friends, is the definitive passage in the Old Testament that boldly points us to a bodily resurrection. We know now because of the New Testament, the teaching of Jesus and the early church, that this was the hope of the early church and that by putting our faith in Jesus, we were assured of eternal life with him. But what Daniel says is, well, while everybody's resurrected, not everybody's resurrected to eternal glory. Some are resurrected to everlasting shame and contempt. That word contempt is the same word that Isaiah chapter 66 verse 24 uses to describe this same scene when the people who don't put faith in God, who don't want to be with God, are resurrected only to die again and then have worms eternally feasting on their bodies. Not exactly a coffee mug verse that you see often, but a reality nonetheless The truth of the matter is we will either spend eternity with God or we will spend eternity separate from God. The question that we have to answer is what are we going to do with Jesus? Will we put our faith in him and live eternally or will we experience what Daniel refers to as everlasting shame and contempt apart from the presence of God? Now, that's all context for Daniel laying out for you and I our sustenance for endurance. It's his safety guide for us in the back of the chair in the airplane. See, when we know that God doesn't promise us avoiding all suffering, but deliverance from it, we can live with endurance. See, and I'd invite you to write this down. It's accurate expectations that position us for faithful endurance. Accurate expectations position us for faithful endurance. That's true in a lot of areas of life. It's really true in marriage, which is why during premarital counseling, we always walk through, walk couples through a session on expectations, trying to name what our expectations are. Because what we found in working with couples over and over again is that so many of our expectations are not only unspoken, but they're also, many of them, unknown to us. We didn't know we had the expectation until it wasn't met. And by that time, we're so emotionally distraught that it's hard for us to respond in any sort of kind or godlike way. So naming our expectations is really, really important in marriage, but also in life in general. And the truth is, you have expectations of God. Now, even if you don't believe in God, you have expectations of him. Your expectation is that he doesn't show up because he doesn't exist. 
But if you're a follower of Jesus like I am, my guess is you have some expectations of God. Some of them might be stated, but many of them are just assumed. I mean, some of our expectations may be things like that he blesses us, that he protects our family, that he provides for our needs, that he makes marriage pure bliss, that he prevents all evil and suffering and maybe even throw in their pandemics. So what happens when God doesn't meet our expectations? Does our, does our faith start to crumble? I hope not. I hope not. Because really, when God doesn't meet our expectations, what we should realize is that we have faulty expectations. It's not our faith in God that needs to crumble. It's the view of God that we had in our head that we're finding out isn't accurate that needs to crumble. And Daniel's getting a more realistic view of God. He is not going to prevent Daniel from walking through suffering. Daniel knows that. After uh, 70 years in exile, Daniel knows that. But he's coming to terms with that reality, bigger picture, and he's passing it on to you and to me. And he's saying, listen, when your expectations of God are aligned with reality, you can walk with endurance. So friends, that's what we're going to dive into over the next few minutes together to try to wrestle with what can we expect from God and how do we endure even when life gets really, really difficult. So Daniel's just laid out for us in this wide swath what we can expect from God. Temporal tribulation and eternal glory. Those two things you can bank on. I read recently about this man who travels a lot for work. And when he does, he always sets his watch face to have two times on it. The, the time from where he, or for where he's at right then, but also the time from home. And it's his way of remembering that he's living with his feet in two different worlds. And essentially, that's what Daniel's calling us to do. It's what he's been calling us to the entire time. I mean, Daniel has been a case study of how to live with our feet in two different worlds. Uh, he lived with his feet quite literally in Babylon, but as a follower of Yahweh. He wrote the book, uh, half of it written in Hebrew and half of it written in Aramaic. He splits his book between uh, trouble in the present and vision for the future. In so many ways, Daniel is a case study of how to live with our faith well in two different worlds, temporal tribulation and eternal glory. And isn't that the exact same thing that Jesus promised his disciples? In John chapter 16, verse 33, he said, In this world, you will have tribulation. You will have trials. He, he didn't say you might have trials, but he said you will have trials. He went on to say in Matthew chapter 5 that we will experience persecution just because we're followers of Jesus, that that's part of our present reality in a fallen world. And if you look at sort of the global landscape of followers of Jesus, you see that that's true. 
From 2000 to 2010, roughly 1 million people lost their life because of their faith in Jesus. Today, around the globe, about 260 million people experience persecution because of their faith in Jesus. In this world, you will have trials. You will have tribulation. And friends, I just want to, as pastorally, but as firmly as I can say to you, I think that as followers of Jesus, that we're heading more and more in that direction in our world today. I think we're entering in a time, and you can see this even now, where uh, exercising our faith in the public sphere will cause us to get pushed more and more to the margins. In our secular age, people who want to hold to the truth of Scripture will be pushed away and their voice will try to be silenced. In fact, you can see a great example of this when Samaritan's Purse showed up in New York to help with the COVID-19 pandemic that was just breaking out and they needed help. They were boycotted. They were protested against because of their conviction and their sexual ethic. I mean, they were literally trying to help the wounded in the streets and people were boycotting against them. I think the much of the same will come for us as followers of Jesus at some point in the near future. But that shouldn't discourage us. It should actually cause us to be people who say we will endure by faith because what Jesus said next is also true. In this world, you will have tribulation. But he said, but rejoice, I have overcome the world. While we have accurate expectations about temporal tribulation, we also have a deep and abiding conviction of eternal glory. You see, we cannot bury our head in the sand and hope to endure. We can't try to entertain ourselves and wish away the reality of what we live in and hope to endure. That's not what Daniel did. No, he looked. He looked at the future, knowing that it was going to be difficult, but also knowing that eternal glory was what awaited him. And look at what he does next in chapter 12, verses 5 through 9, because he explores these themes of expectation and endurance. Verse 5 says this, Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and the other on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who is above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? So someone's asking a great question. Hey, how long is it going to be until resurrection and judgment? What, what type of time frame are we looking at? And, And isn't that the question that so many of us would want to ask? Lord, how long until you come back? And Daniel writes this, And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. And just a quick side note. I think the stream here symbolizes time. It symbolizes history. And and we see this divine or angelic figure standing above time and standing above history and, and raising his hands as if to say he reigns over all of it. I think it's pointing to, to God or to a pre-incarnate vision of Christ standing above time and standing above history. He Picking up in verse 7, he raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time 
times and a half time. Now, if you've been following us in the book of Daniel, that will ring some bells. Uh, A time, times, and a half time, probably referring to a three and a half year time period of intense tribulation. And that when the shattering of the powers of the people, holy people, comes to an end, all these things would be finished. So he's saying, listen, the focus of that tribulation time will be on the people of God, on the holy people. And after that time, we would start to see the beginning of the end. Verse 8, I heard, Daniel writes, but did not understand. And then I said, oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And he said, and I love this, go your way, Daniel. For the words are shut up and sealed until the end of time. Meaning that this is the end of the vision, Daniel. (laughs) Go your way. I love that Daniel shows us a bit of his humanity here. I mean, he's been so faithful. He's been such a great guide for us. And he just pushes in and he says, I want to know more. I want want more information. I want to know how this is all going to go down. I want the timeline. I want to know if I'm going to suffer. I want to know more. And this angel or this divine being's response to Daniel is, go your way. Daniel, it's, it's time to go. No more information. It, it's time to start living. And I think this shows us that the beginning point for the life abundant is not a promise that everything will turn out perfectly, but rather a reality check that life may be really, really hard, but that eventually we're going to be delivered and eventually we are going to be redeemed. Daniel gets a direction to march in, but he does not get details about the journey. And I think this is a summons for us to start living even when we don't know all the answers, to move out in faith even when things are still a little bit foggy. I mean, isn't it interesting that in this book of visions and prophecy, it can be so easy to get sucked into those and to think that that the point is figuring it all out, how all the pieces fit together. And certainly that may have been a temptation for Daniel. After all, he got this revelation. But the angel points him forward and says, Daniel, start living. You don't need all the answers. And I would say the same thing to you. Go your way. In adjusting our expectations of God, can I invite you to write this down? Don't wait for complete understanding before you start living with full devotion. Don't wait for complete understanding to start living with full devotion. We don't need to wait for all the answers before we take action. Because if we do, we will end up waiting probably forever. I mean, listen to the way that the Apostle Paul talks to the elders at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 20, verses 22 through 23. He says this, And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Paul's saying, I don't know exactly what's going to happen. I just know that it's probably not all going to be, you know, strawberries and running through a field and just wonderful every single moment of every single day. There's going to be some hardship. There's going to be some pain. I don't know what's coming, but I know I need to go. 
And I just want to speak as clearly as I can to the person who may be paralyzed, wondering, God, what's your plan for my life? God, what are you what are you calling me to do? There's this sort of this dream that you've got. There's this seed of hope that you feel like God is calling you to step out in faith to chase. And you're waiting for more information. I want to invite you to go your way. The exact same thing that the angel said to Daniel. Maybe it's a nonprofit that you want to start or an adoption that you're thinking about pursuing or a move that you feel like you need to make. Just because you don't know how it will all turn out doesn't mean you shouldn't step out. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Daniel never got it, even though, never got that clarity, even though he was talking to an angel. (laughs) So you may not get it this side of heaven either. So Daniel continues to recount his conversation with this divine being and listen to what he's told next. Verse 10, many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. So catch what Daniel's being told in this season of unprecedented trouble that Daniel referenced in verse 1. It would produce in God's people um, a refinement, Daniel's told. So would you write this down? And this is about adjusting our expectations. Remember first that we learned that we don't wait for complete understanding before we start to operate in full faith. And now what we see is don't assume that suffering is retributive. Receive it as refinement. It's not necessarily punishment from God. It could be God refining us. And that's often the way he uses seasons of tribulation in the lives of believers. This word refinement could also be translated smelting out of the Hebrew. And it's exactly what happens with precious metals, that they're heated up so that all of the impurities rise to the surface. And then the impurities can be removed so that you have more of a pure form of the metal. And what Daniel is saying is that that's exactly what happens with our faith in seasons of tribulation. Peter would echo the same thing, writing to elect exiles, he calls them, in 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 6. Listen to what he wrote. He said this, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. See, in this passage, Peter ties our our faith and uses a metaphor to that of, of a refining fire, tested by fire. Your faith needs a fight. My faith needs a fight. And it's one of the things that seasons of trial and tribulation do. It diagnoses where we may be weak in our faith, where we may need to be refined. 
It brings those things to the surface and it points to them and it shows them for what they are so that then we can grow in faith. I think that's exactly what this COVID season is doing. It's not fun. It's not easy, but it is revealing some areas that we can grow in our faith. It might look like the desire to have our rights over the willingness to lay them down for others. It might look like an unwillingness to speak up for what we really believe. It might look like creating an us versus them divide. Yeah, it's rising in the surface to the surface areas that we can grow in our faith. And it appears that God's people are going to have a lot of opportunities to practice being refined by the fire. Listen to the way that the vision continues in verse 11. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that causes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. (laughs) Now, these are two time markers that we haven't seen yet in the book of Daniel and can't find anywhere else in prophetic literature in the scriptures. So it's sort of an anomaly of sorts. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, you're used to seeing the 1,260-day mark, the three and a half years, or the time, times, and a half time, but that isn't what Daniel's pointing to now. And there's no solid um, uh, sort of conviction about what this passage means amongst conservative scholars. Here's what a lot of people think. Many people think that this is the period between the end of the tribulation, which Daniel's been writing about, and the beginning of the millennial reign of Christ. That that very well may be true. I, I think what we're supposed to take from this, though, is to understand it that, that Yahweh's people will make it, even in light of all the evil that's thrown against them. Blessed is he who waits, right, endures, waits, and arrives. Happy is the person that that makes it, is the idea that Daniel is camping out on. And I think what we're seeing is that that this is going to be a process. It's not going to happen instantaneous. There's going to be some seasons that we walk through where we go, I wish that this would be over already. Can I get an amen to this season that we're in right now? You know, on November 20th of this year, 2020, Colorado opened its very first In-N-Out Burger to the glory of God. There was a, anywhere between the articles that you read, you can find anywhere between 12 and 14 hour wait to buy a burger at In-N-Out Burger. I mean, how many Double Doubles animal style do you have to buy in order to make that worth it? It was so long that people got out of their cars and got into fist fights over their place in line. I mean, absolute craziness. We will wait for the things that matter to us. We will endure for the things that we put our hope in. And I think we live right now in a microwave culture, but God is a crockpot God. We want things instantly. I mean, when we have to wait even a few days for Amazon to get our prime package to us, it seems like an eternity, doesn't it? 
I'm reminded of the student that went to his teacher and asked to take a a shorter version of the class that was being offered. And his teacher said, sure, but it all depends on what you want to become. He, He said, when God wants to grow a squash, it takes him six months. When he wants to grow an oak tree, it takes him hundreds of years. What do you want to become? And I think that story draws out what's happening in the book of Daniel at the very end here. Blessed is he who waits, who's formed through the furnace of trials and suffering and perseveres and endures to the end. What does it look like to be 1335 people, people that arrive at the end? Can I invite you to write this down? Don't dwell on escape. Don't just try, don't be the kind of person that just goes, we just got to get through this and get out of this. Don't dwell on escape. Rely on God to empower your endurance. And maybe it means, maybe it means that we need to shift our prayers a little bit. One of the most um, significant books that I've read over the last few years that just reshaped my thinking is a book called The Insanity of God by Nick Rippon. And he traveled around and he, um, chronicled the movement of God amongst the persecuted church all around the world. And he interviewed these these saints, these followers of Jesus, many of whom had friends that died for their faith. And at one point in the book, he wrote this. He said, I have never encountered a mature believer living in persecution who asked us to pray that their persecution would cease. Instead, the focused prayer of the persecuted is that they would be faithful and obedient through their persecution and suffering. I mean, let that sit on us for a moment. Their prayer isn't, God, get me out. Their prayer is, God, help me be faithful as I walk through. I mean, how do we get that kind of faith? How are we refined in that kind of way? Three things that I would say to you. One, the gospel has to be real. It's not some sort of story or myth that we believe. We are deeply convinced of the love of God in Christ given to us through his death, burial, and resurrection that is the central narrative of our lives. Second, we have to believe that without him, we are absolutely doomed. As Daniel says, uh, everlasting shame and contempt that Jesus saves us from sin, from death and from hell. But third, we also are convinced that what he, sa- that he saves us from something, but third, he saves us for something. That eternal life, the only time eternal life is described in the scriptures, it's described as life with God. John chapter 17, verse 3. And as we become convinced of those things, our goal isn't escaping, it is enduring, and it is sharing the good news of the gospel with the world around us that so desperately needs to hear about Jesus. So let's look at the way the book of Daniel ends together. Verse 13, but go your way till the end. 
and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. So so this angel is applying to Daniel personally what he told Daniel universally would happen in verse 2, resurrection. Daniel, one day, one day, after you, after you rest, after you're dead, one day you will stand. Your feet will once again hit this renewed earth, this, and you will stand in your allotted place at the end of days. I love this because the end of Daniel is really the beginning. Yeah, Daniel's journey and his life will eventually come to an end. But that end will simply lead to a new beginning. And this message of resurrection, friends, was the message that the early church grabbed onto. It was distinctly a part of the gospel that they believed in. In fact, the early church would have said, if you don't talk about resurrection, you don't talk about the gospel. Listen to the way that Paul wrote it to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel. But the early church didn't stop with affirming that Jesus had resurrected from the dead. They went on to say, because of Jesus' resurrection, we can be sure of our resurrection too. Pushing back against the Sadducees who didn't believe that. The early apostles preached, and it says this in Acts chapter 4, verse 2, greatly annoyed that the Sadducees were greatly annoyed because they were teaching people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Yeah, Jesus was, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, the first fruits. He was the the prototype of what would one day be true for you and I, that one day we will walk out of the grave with redeemed, renewed, physical bodies. For followers of Jesus, our eternal hope is not that we would live as disembodied spirits in an ethereal heaven. It's that we would live as resurrected people on a renewed earth. And friends, that is our deepest hope. That was Daniel's deepest hope. And it was the very thing that he expected. And that expectation allowed him to faithfully endure. At the end of the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis wrote this. He said, All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story in which every chapter is better than the one before. Hold that thought for just a moment. Set your watch to it. Uh, Pull the pamphlet out from behind the seat and see the instructions. Friends, tribulation certainly will come, but so will eternal glory. Will you write this down? Assurance about the future is designed to give us strength for today. Strength so that Jesus' followers can finish the race still growing and still serving. Strength so that marriages can stay true to the vows that they have made until death do us part. 
strength so that we can be radically and ridiculously generous in this world that needs to know about Jesus. Strength so that we can be neighbors and family members and friends who share the good news of the gospel. So this weekend, we begin to celebrate Advent. This is the first Sunday of Advent. It's also the day on our liturgical church calendar that I got the dreaded phone call that my mom had passed away. I can remember vividly. I was in my office at church, walking through my sermon, getting ready to preach. When my dad called me and told me that my mom had lost her year and a half long battle to an undiagnosed brain condition. I was absolutely devastated. And yet there was this, this seed of hope. In, in this world, you will have tribulation, but rejoice. I have overcome the world. See, my mom had put her faith in Jesus. She loved Jesus. She was a, a leader in the church, a woman of God. And I have absolutely no doubt that she is in heaven with him now and that one day he will call her name and she will walk out of the grave into eternal, new, redeemed, restored life on this earth in a new body that's healed. No more death, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more pain. That is her destiny. Yes, that he has been victorious as the great Christmas hymn sings, says he has come to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. And you may be wondering, well, how can I have that same assurance? How can I have that same hope? Well, well let me just point you to the very words of Jesus. He, here's what he said. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he says this. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? You see, the thing that separates those who experience resurrection and eternal life and resurrection and eternal shame and contempt, according to the way that Daniel put it, is simply faith in Jesus. So I want to call you today to put your faith in him. So if that's you today, if you're listening and you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus, but you just sense God drawing you in, you can just pray a prayer like this. Lord, I, I recognize that I haven't been living the way that you designed me to live. Uh, that just like the scriptures say, I've sinned and I've fallen short of your glory. But God, I'm so thankful that you have come to my rescue, that you have died in my place, that you've conquered sin and death on my behalf. And today, Lord, I put my faith in you. I turn from my sin. I repent of my sin and I run to you, Lord. I want to live in your way. I want to learn to become a disciple. So Lord, today, I give you my life. Would you fill me and lead me for your glory, please? Forgive me, God, and lead me into the life everlasting that you promised to give. It's in your name. Amen.
If you prayed that prayer, the scriptures are really clear that you are a child of the most high God. And so now you're invited just like the rest of us to this life of, of endurance, of accurate expectations, knowing that we won't get complete understanding before we're called to walk out in faith, knowing that sometimes suffering comes into our life to refine us, and knowing that we're called to endure rather than to escape, trusting that our knowledge about what God has given us in the future, resurrection, is designed to strengthen us today. Friends, let's together be people who live out the message of this book of Daniel with vitality, with life, with beauty in our world that so desperately needs to hear that the King has come to our rescue. God bless you. Thanks for joining us for this series. Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.